to another episode of Awakened Parenting. I'm your host, Jill McPherson, parenting consultant, mother of four, and teacher, here to answer your parenting questions. On today's show, we are talking about teenagers and sex. This episode will also address parents' questions involving struggles with teens establishing their sexual identity. Do you struggle with how to support your teen's transition into becoming a sexual being? Do you wonder what the rules should be around managing sexual behavior? Has your teen shared with you that they are gay or have offered you a label that you're not exactly clear on what it means? Is your lack of understanding creating some distance between you and your teen? Or do you have some concerns or fears around what might happen if your teen does identify with a sexual identity other than heterosexual? If you can relate to any of these questions, then you'll want to listen to today's episode of Awakened Parenting. In one of my previous podcast episodes, I offered tips for talking to your kids about sex. You can listen to that episode at jillmcpherson.com or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify by searching Awakened Parenting. That episode received a lot of attention and comments, so I decided it would be helpful to offer another podcast about sex, but with a more specific focus on teens, sexuality, and sexual identity. I decided to contact an expert on this topic. Today I have with me Marianne Bredner. Marianne has been in Dufferin County, that's north of Toronto, Canada, since she started grade nine. She has had the privilege of being part of the opening staff of two local agencies, Family Transition Place in 1985 and Children's Mental Health in 1988. She initiated the Adult Incest Survivor Group in 1986 at Family Transition Place and as well as started the Youth LGBTQ Group in the town of Orangeville in 1999, both done in a voluntary capacity. She has worked in an Orangeville Young Offender Custody Facility, FTP, the school, uh, the school Board, and Children's Mental Health Services. Since 2006, Marianne and her wife have run a private therapy practice. Marianne has extensive experience working with children and teens that fit under the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning umbrella. Welcome Marianne, so glad you could join me today. Thank you, Jill. It's very nice to be here. Great. Now, when I read all what you've done over the past 35 years or so, I thought, wow, I clearly have the right guest with me to address some parents' questions I have here today. Um, so now before we get started, you shared with me in an email that when it comes to parents asking questions, your guiding principle is that there's no such thing as a stupid question and parents need to ask questions with respectful curiosity. You know, I really loved that term. I just wondered if you could elaborate a little bit more about what that means for you, respectful curiosity. Well, that means there is actually the only stupid question is one that doesn't get asked either by a parent or by a child. Right. And if either the parent or the child is afraid to ask it, it's like, what is the issue here? Let's talk about that a bit. But also being respectful is like, it's like, let's look at what the possibilities are here and let's look at being open to possibilities. And just knowing that being respectful means that there is no wrong. There is just getting information. Right. So that really helps to minimize the fear 
and and yeah, and asking from a question, a place of curiosity and not like what's wrong with you or what's wrong yeah. about the situation. Yes. And I must say, I've had, I, as an adult uh, who's in a, in a uh, I mean, I've been married to my wife for uh, almost 18 years. I've had adults come up and ask me something and say, do you mind if I ask? And I'm like, no, absolutely. Go ahead and ask me. Mm. And um, I think for youth who may be questioning or not sure, there's nothing wrong that they can ask. For a parent who's trying to check out stuff with their their young person who might be questioning or not sure, there's nothing wrong they can ask either. Okay, well, that's a great way to start. Let's start uh, now or move on now to, um, so I have my uh, parenting Facebook group, Awaken Parenting. And when I posted in that this was going to be my next topic, um, I had some questions um, asked. So one of my uh, moms in the group, Amanda says, uh, my boyfriend, sorry, my daughter has a boyfriend. And I'm just wanting some tips on how to approach the physical side of relationships appropriately. I want to be open with her, but I'm afraid of offering encouragement. I feel like she's too young to be involved in a sexual active relationship, but I'm hearing that a lot of kids her age group are choosing that. And I would hate for her to think she couldn't come to me if she needed to talk or confide in me in anything. We have a great relationship and I really want to keep that going. So her question is, what is the best way to have an open-minded conversation that balances empowering self-respect and a healthy first sexual relationship? Uh, one of the things to remember is that even if the parent is willing and open to talk about it to the kids, it doesn't necessarily mean the kids are willing and open to talk about it with their parent. Mm, good point. Um, and, you know, as a mother yourself, you may have experienced this. I certainly do with my three girls uh, growing up. And uh, once I knew they started getting into dating relationships, I said, you know, it's up to you how much you want to discuss with me. I'm not going to badger you about stuff. What you need to know is that, Keeping yourself safe is really important. So, and not just you, but also your friends. So I'm going to, and, and I opened it up. <laughs> I opened up a box of condoms and had them underneath the kitchen or underneath the bathroom uh, sink in the, the, the console there. And I said, you need to know that's there, not just for you, but if any of your friends need to access that. And uh, just left it as that, um, it, as it turned out. I ended up throwing them out. <laughs> but, you know, all of my kids ended up, none of them ended up, you know, getting STDs or getting pregnant or any of those things. But the bottom line was my kids always knew they could come to me. None of them ever came to me with quandaries about their friends, about their own sexual stuff, um, which I think it's, I think it's a bit of a hang up for kids sometimes mm -hmm. to talk to adults about sex. Right more so than it is for adults to want to talk to kids about it. And right. I think I think the most important thing is just let them know the lines of communication are open. And I'm willing to talk. I'm willing to give you resources. And um, the, the other piece now that is so prevalent is that they can pretty much access any information they want online. Right. And if they don't know it, their friends will know it. So they could get the information they want elsewhere and not need you. And yes. is that, would you say for parents, is that something to be concerned about or no, no, no I think not to worry about that it's quite natural. There's lots of things that kids don't talk to their parents about. They don't talk to their parents when they start drinking about what drink do you prefer? <laughs> like, you know, like, right. Um, there's lots of things that kids do not talk to their parents about. And I think that's, that's a fairly, but I think, well, number one, there's always been a hang about sex in our 
very, uh, you know, sort of Anglo-Saxon society. Right. Talking about sex in general. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not just, not just between kids and parents, but just generally, like we don't talk about it an awful lot. Right. Yeah. And so not to be concerned if they're not willing to, so for the parent to express open, the, you know, open the conversation, say, I'm willing, I'm here, yes. I need information, yes. I want to talk about it, yes. uh, but not have the agenda that the child needs to reciprocate and, no. and be the same on the same page as you, so no. to speak. Because they're not going to be on the same page. Right. And they will sooner talk to their peers or go to a website than talk to their parents. And that's very natural these days, given, you know, where things are at. Right. Um, I, I have to agree. I know one of the things I help with, uh, with the parents that I'm supporting, particularly of the older children is into the teen years, um, is accepting that as children turn into teens in particular, it's very natural for them to want to have more privacy. Yes. To want to have, like, there's things they just don't want to tell you. Don't take that personally. That's just normal. Yeah. Um, just like there's things that you don't want to tell your children. Like, and 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 uh, and to a certain degree, that's healthy. That there's certain things that you're not going to share with them. Um, like, yeah. kids are okay talking to the parents about what's the best way for me to do this parking so I can get my driver's license? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, they're, they're much more comfortable talking to their parents about that sort of thing. Things that are really tangible. Talking about their sex life is really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, for I have a lot of parents who say to me, my kids don't talk to me about hardly anything. Mm. And I don't know how often you hear that. But quite often these days, I hear from parents that their kids are really not opening up to them about a lot of things. Right. Yeah. And, that, and I think that is a lot of what you suggested is because of technology, yeah. um, other sources and people are so more accessible yeah. than they were before. So they do have other choices outside of parents. Yeah. And I, and one of the things is, you know, we can only do as parents what we can do, and that is be approachable, be, you know, calm and, and not have that agenda. Uh, Cause they're not going to talk to you if your agenda is, if I hear anything that I don't like, I'll have to fix it or change it about you. Yes. Um, if, if that's the parent's uh, agenda, forget it. They're going to close up. They're not going to share. Um, the, the, the other piece too is like, and I, you know, I was really glad to hear like when you sit down to fa- your family dinner at night, there are a lot of families who don't sit down to a family dinner. Mm. Um, it's like sit down to a family dinner every night. The rule is, has always been in my household, even now my adult kids, well, I can't have them over right now, but when my adult kids could come over, it's like the phones all go away. Yes. We are here to talk to each other. Yes. And whether it's here at home or when we were allowed to go out to restaurants, we would, again, the phones go away yes. and we're there for each other and to, to have a conversation. And I think, I think that is becoming a bit of a lost sense yes. in so many families. Yes, I think so too. And I, I have to say that's our, um, that, you know, we don't have many rules, but that's, you know, one in our house as well. And I think the key to making that successful is being the person that you would want to have a conversation with. Exactly. Not being not judgmental. Yes. Being open to whatever and just saying, so what does that mean to you? Yes. Tell me what that, what that, what's that like? 
Yes. Um, yeah. Cause I now have three teenagers and a 21 year old um, and the 21 year old kid of course is, is back. Um, well, there's two that are in post-secondary. My oldest actually just finished, but because of COVID she came back home. Um, and so we've been for the past year, you know, most nights, the six of us uh, at the table and uh, you know, when they're this age in particular, whenever they share an opinion, whether it's about sex or any other category, it could be politics or, you know, friendships or whatever it is. I just try really hard to stay open. If I hear an, a point, a, a, an opinion I disagree with, I might just say something like, oh, tell me more about that. But my, I have to be very careful. And I know I've kind of messed up if I say something and they go, well, just forget it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then, then I'm like, oh darn, I did it. I was, I was inflicting my agenda on them again. I was, I was having this secret fantasy that I wanted them to think the way I'm thinking. Uh, and it's just really surrendering that. And uh, because I would say to parents, if they're struggling with, you know, their child not sharing, just to, just to invite them to think, am I being somebody who's approachable? Am I easy to talk to? Or do I have strong opinions and judgments that might discourage them uh, from wanting to share. Uh, yeah. And I, I always say the older they get, um, you know, you talk less and listen more. Yes. And, and so I'm to the point now where I'm rarely talking. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm doing a lot of listening. And, and, uh, and if I know, again, if I've done too much talking, it's they'll shut down. So yeah. then I know, oops, I'm talking too much again, I need to stop because they've stopped talking. So, and actually that's, that's very true of the young people I work with. If, if I find I'm doing too much talking, I know I'm talking at them, not with them. Mm. And I need to make it more. So it's like, they're giving me their, their sense, their information. Um, right. And of course, all my, my sessions I do in youth right now are done virtually, which is very different for me. Mm -hmm. um, they're very comfortable with it because they're, they do, they talk that way all the time to their friends. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, you really need to make sure you go in with an open mind and your ears wide open and your heart wide open. Right. Now, I want to make sure that we really answered Amanda's question. I just want to address part of her story was that she was afraid that if she was offering or talking maybe too much about uh, sex, that it might be sort of subtly encouraging sex. <laughs> No matter, no matter what she says or does, her daughter is thinking about sex an awful lot of the time. Okay. Now, her boyfriend is thinking about sex 99% of the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the bottom line is that she's not encouraging it by talking about it. As a matter of fact, by talking about it, she's actually maybe discouraging her daughter a bit because she's like, oh, if mom thinks this is okay, then maybe it's not that that good <laughs> so I, I think i think that uh she needs to realize that by talking about it it's not giving permission it's not saying i think it's okay you do this but she needs to also know that if her daughter's in high school she, her, she's right a lot of her daughter's friends are doing it. a lot of her daughter's friends have already done it it's going to be happening and if it doesn't happen this year it's going to happen next year mm -hmm. and she as a parent needs to figure that out for her own self and feel comfortable with that right and um as a mother i know it's hard it's sort of like <gasps> you know yeah. you don't want to think about that happening mm -hmm. but it's part of what happens 
Right. So it's really letting go, you know, well, if we can, if anything today, we can really break down that myth of thinking that talking about it means condoning or encouraging it. it and it's not. not. And in fact, I always say information is power. Exactly. Uh, so it's far more important to give your children information and yeah. then help to guide them with their choices. And rather than uh, hoping that if we don't talk about it, it's, you know, it's like the elephant. Actually, the less them. you talk about it, the more it encourages them. If you don't talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because they, they don't have that support and they'll just sort of wander through, uh, you know, struggling on their own kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Great. Great. Thanks for, thanks for that. Okay. So another um, parent, um, Teresa asked, uh, where can I find a really good resource that helps explain the difference between some of the LGBTQ plus categories? I think this mom is just wanting clarification on which, what all these labels mean. Well, to tell you the truth, um, having run, I ran the LGBTQ questioning youth group in Orangeville. I started it back in 1999 and ran it for 13 years as a volunteer. Um, and I've done it sporadically since then as needed, whenever they needed me. Um, the terminology always keeps changing. It's like anything. Mm. If you're online, you know, oh, this month it was enabled this and this month, like, it doesn't matter. It could be something to do with technology. It doesn't matter what is it, the, 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 it changes. Right. I always turn to the youth and say, I, that's a new term. Can you explain that to me? And I do that very often with the youth I work with online. I'm like, oh, so like there's things such as dead naming, um, you know, those sorts of things. And I was like, okay, like when I first heard that three years ago, I was like, what does that mean? You know? And uh, so there is no place to go and get all the definitions. That's the bottom line. The best way is to ask the young person say, I'm still learning here. Can you explain that term to me? <laughs> Right. Um, an extra, extra, a really good resource though for parents is the PFLAG website, which is Parents and Friends of Lesbian and Gays. It's been around for forever, but it's got some really good resources there for parents and for young people too. So I really recommend anybody who's looking for some information to go to the PFLAG website and check that out. Um, we don't have a PFLAG um, community here in Orangeville, but there's a huge community online. And um, actually, uh, when Pride was a, being able to be held in Toronto, the PFLAG contingent when it marched through got the biggest cheers from the crowd because it wow. has been so supportive of the LGBT community and it's all made up of parents and friends and uh, of uh, different people in the LGBTQ community, so. Okay. That's great. Have so you ever gone to the, the Pride Parade, Jill? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. It's amazing. Actually, for many years, we would take kids from Orangeville down who'd never gone. And they were like, oh, like for them, but just opened up a whole new world. Um, right. And they saw so many people in the LGBT community. But the other piece they saw that I think was just as important is they saw so many of the cisgendered straight community being there, being supportive. Yes. Yes, that is so true. Um, I think there might be a myth around if attending means that you're part of it, that you... No, that's, no you know. actually, I, right now I would say there's probably more people who are, who are straight and cisgender than there are LGBTQ who go to it. And it's just, it's just everybody is in such a celebratory mood. It really, 
that ties me that once I want to talk about the Riddell scale of homophobia, but it also applies to transphobia, ableism, racism. Um, there's four negative stages you can look at when you come to um, thinking about somebody who's got an ism. So the first one is hate. Like, I just don't agree with that. I think it's totally wrong. The next one is pity. Well, they can't help it. They were born that way. Mm, yes. The next one is tolerance. And everyone's like, oh, tolerance is good. I'm like, well, no, I tolerate mosquitoes because I live in Canada and I know you have to put up with them when the weather gets warm, but I don't really like mosquitoes. Right. The next one, which is still a negative, is acceptance. I accept the fact I have to pay taxes, but I don't really wave the flag and say, yay, I pay taxes. The four positive ones are being supportive, admiring what a different community like the LGBTQ community can do to our society. It adds all sorts of different experiences that normally, you know, like in a heter totally heterosexual, straight community, you would not see, cisgendered community, you would not see. An admiration for taking the courage to be different than the mainstream community. And the last one is nurturing, is to nurture and totally celebrate those people. So, right. So that's the Riddell scale, and uh, it was it, it came up with a psychologist. She came up with it in the nineteen sixties, and uh, wow, it's true to this day. So, yeah, you know that reminds me too of an expression um, that I'd read in in a book about. Um, that might kind of tag with the acceptance. Acceptance sounds good, um, but if uh, you hear a parent say something like, you know, oh, you know, you're you're gay or you're this or that, don't worry, I'll love you no matter what. Yeah. And that sort of no matter what yeah. is insinuating yeah. like I'll accept it, you know, not ideal, uh, but I'll accept it kind of thing. And so yeah. we really have to watch our language too around. It, it's language is really, really dicey. And also like tying into that is also like pronouns. Like I'll have parents say to me, well, they're identifying as a different gender to what they were born. I don't like saying he when it's really a she. And I'm like, well, that's what they're asking you to do. And if you don't do that, you're really being disrespectful. And it comes down to, if you can't say he and you still want to say she just don't bother saying any pronouns <laughs> right right because it's amazing the amount of conversation you can carry on without seeing a pronoun i have done that with parents where the young person has come out to me but they haven't to their parents yet and you can carry on a very lengthy conversation without actually saying pronouns i can guarantee you that <laughs> yeah you've, you've had practice in it that's for sure yeah. <laughs> okay we have a question here from elizabeth and um she says, I have fears and concerns about my child being part of the LGBT community because of the higher rate of mental health issues and the greater risk of them being targeted for hate crimes, bullying, intolerance, et cetera. How can I express my concerns and fears in a supportive way? So basically she was share, sharing that she wants her daughter to be safe, who's identified as queer. Um, and she's just wondering how can she be supportive and, and support her in, in being uh, protecting herself, I guess you'd say. Well, she's, you know, she's got some, some justifiable concerns. And one of the reasons that, um, you know, when you're part of the LGBT community, you do face more hatred and you are at risk of discrimination. Um, the other piece is that you always have to continually out yourself. Mm. You know, it's like, oh no, Ray is my wife, not my husband. <laughs> she, 
she just happened to happen to have a, an uncle named Raymond, and that's who she was named after because she's French Canadian. You know, you have to continually out yourself, and doing that takes energy, and taking energy can wear you down after a while. I the know. other thing is, particularly if they're a young person, they're at a more vulnerable stage, and that can put them more at risk. Being LGBTQ does not increase your mental health risk. Being exposed to the homophobia and transphobia that is in society does. Okay. Okay. That's a great way to put it. So it's not and, the condition itself. It's how society responds yeah. to it. Yes. Got and it. there's another condition called internalized homophobia or internalized transphobia. Because we've been raised since we were kids. Oh, you grow up. You know, you go this way, you get married, you live in a white picket fence house, you know, you do this. Right. Um, and uh, so it can be hard sometimes inside of ourselves to say, oh, I'm not that way. And I know I'm not that way. I know I'm not wired that way. And it's really clear. I work with, with young people who sometimes as young, as young in age as four or five have known they're either gay or lesbian or they're um, transgendered. Mm. And, um, and that is, that really for them, they're getting all these messages and you get, especially in the school system, and Jill, you work in the school system, you know this. Right. In the school system, they get all these messages all the time. I can remember one young, young person I worked with who was just devastated one time because his, uh, his French teacher in high school said, Think about, this is before gay people get could get married. said, think about when you get married and what your life is going to look like. And he was like, how can she ask me this? I can't get married in Canada. Mm. And for him, it was like a slap in the face. Mm. And he found that more devastating than if anyone had called him a faggot or a gay lord or anything like that, you know, because it was a teacher he really respected who made the heterosexual assumption. Mm. And those things happen all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just thinking myself, even, you know, as a, as a mom and a teacher, how those conversations come up, like, what do you want to be when you grow up um, kind of things and how often the storyline is the whole, you know, finish school, you know, maybe get a job or, you know, get married, have kids kind of thing. There's this sort of cultural storyline. Um, and, in, you know, very um, unintentionally, we could be offering them a very typical heterosexual storyline and yeah. not even realize we're doing it. The heterosexual assumption is always there. Now, I have to give kudos to uh, the media and to TV because they are putting way more LGBTQ characters in every sort of mainstream. Right. TV show you watch and I'm every time and in commercials too and I'm like yes you know like you didn't see that 10 years ago right yes that's true I know now that you say that too I'm definitely noticing that change and and so we need to be more aware so that we're not falling into that trap of supporting that heterosexual assumption and storyline mm -hmm. uh, with our children yeah because I'm sure like I'm just thinking of that teacher how innocent that would have been and oh, yet how absolutely. devastating, how yes. devastating it was, unknowingly devastating it was for that student. Yes, yes, yeah. And and I know the teacher, she was she's a lovely teacher, but um she made a heterosexual assumption and he took it very personally. 
as I'm invisible, I don't exist. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so let's see, what would you um, say then that you have helped um, like parents, the number one advice you would say you give to parents, particularly who are dealing with children with a non-heterosexual label, like a one of the LGBTQ. One of the big things the parents ask me is like, is this just a phase? And I'm like, well, it might mm. be. <laughs> like it could be. Right. It could not be. The bottom line is say, it's okay, whatever. Like, I love you. You can check out whatever you need to check out, but don't feel that you need to put yourself in a box. In today's society, we feel we need to put ourselves in different boxes. Right. Even, even young people who are in the, well, no, no. I'm not gay. I'm non-binary. <laughs> you know, like they feel this need to put themselves in boxes. And I'm like, what you need to understand, there's there things that are fluid. Your sexuality, your sexual orientation is fluid as into who you're attracted to. And actually, having worked with young people enough, I'll tell you, if you put enough young people together for any amount of time, you can't tell who's going to have sex with whom. <laughs> right. The other one is is gender identity. It's very fluid, and it can be fluid over time. Right. The other one is gender expression, which is very different than either one of those. Like you could have someone who's very much uh, a female and, and wants to be with a male, but doesn't present as being really very feminine. So mm. that's gender expression. So things are really like, I always say there's no boxes. There's three really squiggly lines. Okay. And that's, and they can change over time too. And also depending on like, there was a time in my life, I, I would have called myself heterosexual. Um, and I don't now, I call myself a lesbian, but uh, that's because of society pressures and what I felt was okay for me at that time. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, 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 it's all very fluid. And I, I, I've met so many people who are transgendered who only came out when they knew it was safe to come out as being transgendered. Right. Which wasn't when they were very young. Well, and, you know, and and I'm, there, there are some young people now who are coming out as transgendered and are being fully supported by their parents. And yeah. they might decide when they're 17 or 18, maybe I'm not really transgendered, but that's okay because they've had that experience of trying to check it out. Yes. That is so key. So the, the less we get involved in inflicting any sort of guided agenda, yeah. you know, like, like stay on this path or why don't you try this path or this label or this box, as you say, if we can stay out of it, then they can explore and they're more likely to find their sort of true authenticity yeah. or like, as you say, it's fluid anyway. So they'll be in authentic mode more, um, more often uh, if they're just allowed to, to like, find like that out of, your four, out of your four kids are they all right-handed actually yeah they are <laughs> <laughs> but my husband's left-handed okay. so i don't know how that happened <laughs> well, well left-handed is recessive and it's also not dominant so like it's not dominant so my my oldest daughter is left-handed but by the time she was two she knew she was left-handed and i knew not to hand her the spoon in her right hand but to hand her the spoon in the left hand right yeah. Um, and she figured that all out in her own. Handedness is decided by the time they normally hit about the age two. I think sexual orientation, gender identity is much more, it's a longer time span. 
we're looking through all of adolescence. I think early adulthood, and sometimes I think even later adulthood, because let's face it, women do not hit their sexual prime until they hit the age of 35. <laughs> right. So I think it can go even longer um, with adults around sexual identity and sexual orientation. But uh, again, it's like, if it doesn't feel like it's working, it's not going to work. And what I'm thinking too is how much parents will have almost a similar experience uh, in the sense of they too will have to deal with their own feelings around the social pressures that yeah. they could take because they might think, well, if people, th- what will people think if my kid's gay or what will they think if they're transgender? And then they have that to work through themselves, don't they? Jill, absolutely. Like when a young person comes out, whether it's being gay or lesbian or bisexual or non-binary or transgendered, the whole family has to come out eventually. Right. And for parents, that can be, number one, it can be a hard thing for them to sort of say, oh, I always, you know, figured my daughter would end up, you know, marrying a guy and have kids, you know, it's like, okay, it's not going to happen that way. It doesn't mean she's not going to have kids. That's not going to necessarily mean it's going to, she's going to be a sheep for the rest of her life, but it just means things will look different, but then also having to explain it to the rest of the family, to friends, to coworkers. And again, unfortunately, when people come out, they don't just have to come out once. Like I say, it's a continual process. And it's the same thing for the families. It's like, well, no, this is my daughter who used to be my son, but you don't have to say that, but some parents will say that, you know, like, yeah. So it's, 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 it is, it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of energy right. coming out and you have to do it. It never, ever stops. You continue to do it all the time. Hmm. Okay. You don't have to do it as a heterosexual. Is that, yeah. And that's interesting, right? Ever. Because yeah. again, there's this assumed heterosexuality in our society. Yeah. So it's sort of like, that's the, the mainstream or the common. And then when so there's that, that's where everyone puts their assumptions. Yeah. Like, like, for example, how many Zoom meetings have you been in where people said, so what's your name and what are your pronouns? Yeah, well, it's starting to happen now, just yeah. recently. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it, which is good. But I mean, it's, it's taken us a long time to start to even get towards that. Yes, yeah, right. Because we just assume, we just assume yeah. that's a she and that's a he and yeah. we don't need to really discuss that. <laughs> but we can't assume that. So, right. Um, So any um, suggestions you have around parents who, you know, are struggling to maybe like let go? I think, you know, one of our terms we've got is helicopter parents and, you know, they're they're trying to write in there and might have the best of intentions. Uh, But what do you tell parents who are, are, you know, kind of almost getting too involved and not letting go? It's one of the hardest things for parents to let go. And it tends to be mums. I must confess, it tends to be mums. Um, and it's like, if you've done a good job, you need to back off. And if they're going to fall out of the nest, they'll fall out of the nest. If they're going to fly, they're going to fly. Mm-hmm. And you have to have faith in your own parenting ability. Um, I mean, you said your oldest one's 21. I mean, I know when my kids hit that age, I was like, yes, they've done it. You know, like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where the younger ones, you're sort of like, eh, still not quite sure yet. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. I, my motto, my parenting motto is it's my job to make myself obsolete. Uh, and I would even say to my kids kind of growing up, you know, I've got 18 years to teach you everything I know, not a lot of time, let's get going. And I would, you know, keep saying to them, particularly at their birthdays, I would say, now, what, what can I hand over to you now? What are you now going to be responsible for 
at um, you know, and and so that included in in uh, the teen years, you know, their choices around friendships, romantic relationships, um, had to just keep doing that, letting go, and uh, you know, I'm here if you need me. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to assume you know, kind of no news is good news, or or you know, and gently inviting them to like say you know. Um, off, get them to offer if they felt comfortable, but also reading when they didn't want to, to share something or what, you know, to, even now. So yeah, I would, I would agree that that's one of the most important gifts that we give our children is, is backing off and letting yes. them, letting of, them use their wings. Yes. Yes. And then if they do fall, it's, it's that having that conversation of, you know, sounds tough, you know, you had this fall and, and just watching them sort of dust themselves off and say, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure this will work out or, or what's your, what's your plan now? You know, um, I'll often say to my kids when something doesn't go the way they'd wanted, you know, I'll make a point, take a deep breath and say, don't rescue, don't rescue, don't rescue. <laughs> no, I want to, I want, I still want to do that all the time. And my baby turned 33 yesterday. <laughs> mm, right. And, I still, and I'm like, no, we just need to just sit back and wait until they put out a, a hand if they want a hand. And if they don't need a hand, great. Mm-hmm. And then they'll let you know they're doing fine. Yeah, they will. Like even one of my uh, children the other night where I was outside about something and there was tears. And then when she was done sharing, I just said to her, you know, I sort of did the active listening, let her know what I heard. And then I was waiting. I'm always waiting sort of for those cues of something around what should I do or what do you think? And I wasn't hearing that. Um, but yet she looked a little bit um, discontent with me. And so I just said, I just want to check in. Um was this a, a, an opportunity where you just really needed to share that or were you wanting my feedback or were you wanting anything from me at this point? And she said, no, she just wanted me to listen. So I said, okay. You know, of course, underneath, I'm like, I had a list of things yeah, I, <laughs> I was ready to share if she wanted to hear, uh, but she didn't. So I stayed quiet and then just said, let me know if you need me and, you know, and left her room uh, when I thought she was, she was ready. Um, so yeah, it's so important. And, um, it, and as a parent, it's really hard when you feel your a lot of your primary focus has been on the kids. Mm. Sort of realize I need to let go of that now. I need to focus on other stuff. And so for uh, some parents, I say you need to look like get some other interests, take up a musical instrument, learn another language. Like you need to find another focus. And actually, by doing that, you're giving your kids a good role model. You're like, For I sure. am not just a parent, I'm a person, and these are my interests. Yes. Because exactly. I know you've got lots of different interests, so. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I almost sometimes have, have too many, as I, it feels <laughs> like, but it's it's all good. Every I, People say, you're so busy. I'm like, yeah, but it's a good busy. I love everything I'm doing, so that's, that's great. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to end off with sharing um, when I was, you know, um, preparing for this podcast the other night, as, as I told you, we were having a family dinner, and I confessed to my teens that I wasn't quite sure about all of what all the labels meant as well, similar to what one of my moms expressed. So I was asking them, you know, what they knew about LGBTQ plus and, you know, all that. And, and my 13 year old daughter uh, said to me, you know, I don't really understand why we need all these labels. Um, And she said, why can't everyone just like be who they are and love who they want to love? 
And I was just like taken back with, you know, the wisdom of that question. And it, it reminded me of something I read in a book by Glennon Doyle, um, her book called Untamed. And maybe some of um, my listeners have, have heard this, but I just wanted to take the opportunity as we kind of wrap up our conversation here to read a part in that book that really uh, speaks to what my daughter Grace had shared about why, you know, why do we have all these labels and why do we need them? So I'm just going to, I'm going to share that if that's so okay with you absolutely um she she writes um there are wild mysterious forces inside and between human beings that we have never been able to understand forces like faith like love like sexuality we are uncomfortable with our inability to comprehend or control mysteries so we took wild faith the mysterious, undefinable, ever flowing between humans and the divine, and we packaged it into religions. We took wild sexuality, the mysterious, undefinable, ever-shifting flow between human beings, and we packaged it into sexual identities. It's like water in a glass. Faith is water. Religion is a glass. Sexuality is water. Sexual identity is a glass. We created these glasses to try to contain uncontrollable forces. Then we said to people, pick a glass, straight or gay. And by the way, choosing the gay glass will likely leave you unprotected by the law, ostracized by your community, and banished by God. Choose wisely. So folks poured their wide, juicy selves into those narrow, arbitrary glasses because that was what was expected. Many lived lives of quite de quiet desperation, slowly suffocating as they held their breath to fit inside. Somewhere, sometime, someone, for whatever courageous, miraculous reason, finally acknowledged her dragon. She decided to trust what she felt, to know what she knew, and to dare to imagine an unseen order where she might be free. She refused to contain herself any longer, she decided to speak her insides on the outside and just let it burn. She raised her hand and said, those labels don't feel true to me. I don't want to squeeze myself into either of those glasses. For me, that's not exactly it. I'm not sure what it is yet, but that it's not that. Someone else heard the first brave one speak and felt electric hope flowing through his veins. He thought, wait, what if I'm not alone? What if I'm not broken at all? What if the glass system is broken? He felt his hand rise and voice rise with a me too. Then another person's hand slowly rose and another and another until there was a sea of hands, some shaking, some in fists, a chain reaction of truth, hope, and freedom. I don't think gayness is contagious, but I'm certain freedom is. In the name of freedom, we added more glasses. We said, okay, I hear you. Those other glasses don't fit. So here's a bisexual glass for you. And for you, how about a pansexual glass? We kept adding glasses for every letter of the LGBTQ until it felt like we'd eventually use the whole alphabet. This was better, but not exactly right. Because some glasses still come with fewer rights and greater burdens. And some people like me, still couldn't find a glass that fit. My hunch is that folks have always been 50 shades of gay. I wonder if instead of adding more glasses, we should stop trying to contain people within them. Perhaps eventually 
we'll rid ourselves of the glass system altogether. Faith, sexuality, and gender are fluid. No glasses, all see. So Marianne, how did that resonate with you? <laughs> That's so bang on. And I, I, I forget who the author was. And uh, unfortunately, I don't have the book anymore because our house burnt down and the book burnt. But um, it was shared by a dad whose son had come out as gay, who struggled with it. And he said his colleague was talking about his son who'd come out, or his son who was straight and getting married. And he said, I felt so sorry for my coworker because he's missing the richness I have. Because I've been able to experience the world in a different lens, right? In a wider perspective. And I right. really pitied him because he'd never got to experience that. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I just felt like this, this quote really spoke to, you know, my daughter's wisdom of, yeah. why, you know, she's basically saying, let's get rid of the glasses. It's yeah. all see one big pond <laughs> yes, that's right that's right and if we can take this perspective uh, particularly parents who are struggling I think it's a shift in perception that heals us far more than any you know reading a book or to-do lists or what do I say and what do I don't say it's shifting your perspective and just trusting you know the, the right words will come when you're in a place of authenticity you know and 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 love and I, and I must say we are lucky to be Canadian because I'm not sure what nationality the author of that book is, but compared to the States and to many other countries, anyone who's in the LGBT community is very much protected here legally. It doesn't mean they're not going to get slammed in other ways or judged right. in other ways, but at least there is the legal and uh, system to protect them. Right. Yes, that's true. So yes, we have, we can be grateful that we live in, in Canada. That's for sure. Well, Marion, I want to thank you for joining me today. Um, it's just been excellent. It's been informative. I, another great resource for, for parents, uh, another great resource for me. If I get some of those questions that stump me a little bit, I know uh, who I can get in touch with now. <laughs> so thanks so much for, for joining me. My pleasure in joining you. Yeah, great. Um, and if you want to learn more about the services Marianne offers, you can check out her website that she shares with her wife, Ray, at mayraycounseling.com. If you have more questions on teens and sexuality, then be sure to reach out to me at jillmcpherson.com. While you're there, be sure to check out my online parenting workshops. I have an online workshop called Small Hands, Big Challenges for parents of children approximately aged four to 10, and another called Stay Connected with Teens for parents of tweens and teens. Each of these are one evening a week and run for a month. The June workshop sessions are open for registration, so be sure to go to my website, jillmcpherson.com to register. I also offer the Peaceful Parenting Program for parents who want more ongoing support in using the knowledge and skills they learned in the workshop. I answer your parenting questions right on the spot so you can begin to effectively address any problems you're having right away. Uh, don't forget you can also request to join my Facebook group, Awaken Parenting, so you can join other caring and conscientious parents who are seeking ways to be the best parent they can be. In the meantime, do you have a parenting question or questions that you would like me to answer in my next podcast? Then please email me at jillmcpersonyes at gmail.com. Until then, this is Jill McPherson inviting you to join me in awakening to a more peaceful way to parent on Awakened Parenting.